I mean, digital has definitely surpassed film in most respects, you know, low light ability, convenience, everything else. But sometimes having some degree of limitation within your own work is really what's going to drive you to become a better photographer. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think I thrive when I have a good set of limitations on me because you have to kind of, you're forced to be a bit more creative and you're forced to kind of think ahead a little bit as opposed to kind of ruling with what you see at that given time. Welcome to the Golden Hour Podcast, brought to you by Polar Pro. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and in today's episode, we interview large format film photographer, Ben Horn. Ben also happens to be YouTube's first and longest active landscape photography vlogger. In my interview, Ben talks about loving large format because of the inherent limitations and strong sense of discipline that is required to do it. I found his perspective on photography fascinating, and I really appreciate getting to know him in this interview. If you're a film photographer, landscape photographer, or just all around photographer, then I think you're gonna really love listening to Ben's perspective on photography. And if you're a video shooter, don't tune this one out either because Ben is also a filmmaker and has a very active YouTube channel. So without any further ado, let's listen in on my interview with Ben. Cool. So Ben Horn, thanks for coming into the Golden Hour podcast. Yeah, really appreciate it. Awesome to be here. Yeah. So uh, you kind of are the only film photographer that we've interviewed actually on this podcast. So I'm really excited to talk to you about this. That's cool, man. We're kind of a rare breed these days, but you know, it's actually picking up a little bit. Yeah. So let's talk about that. I mean, large format is kind of your thing. Yeah. Uh, what kind of cameras do you shoot on? What What is large format for somebody who doesn't even know? So for most people, they're trying to picture it. Think of like the Ansel Adams kind of camera. The sort of wooden camera, the bellows, mm -hmm. um, pretty bulky equipment, but also incredibly simple. Um, but the camera I'm using, it will use uh, eight by 10 inch film. Um, so you're shooting you know, slide film or color negative film or black and white film. You can put any film really through them, but, um, but you have this huge surface area to work with. And so that you can scan it digitally, which is my part of my process where, you know, you know, you shoot it on film and then scan it digitally. And then you have this really big file that you can work with. You can print however big you want. You can crop like crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it's a very limiting process. It really slows you down. It's very methodical and kind of zen-like in a way, which yeah. it's not appropriate for most types of photography. But for landscapes, great. People use them for portraits as well, which is also good. But I'm definitely using it for landscapes. So you're, you're not going to be shooting a wedding anytime soon with this I, format, right? You know, in some ways, you, you know, do portraits, if but... you're a wedding photographer, you go, you go there, you know, you shoot one photo, you're done, you know? <laughs> so maybe there's some undiscovered market there, just a yeah. big group shot or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, not, not, <laughs> not too much use for, for weddings. A big group know? shot. You could crop all the way in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Just each individual person. Here's your four by six for each person that showed up there. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So for someone who's completely ignorant with film and uh, versus like res resolution megapixels, what exactly is a large, a large format in terms of megapixels? Does it just depend on the scan quality exactly. and things like that? Yeah, so it depends on how high you scan it. And mm -hmm. at a certain point, as you keep scanning at higher and higher resolution, you're just going to see grain. Um, but when you're starting out with film that's 8 by 10 inches, mm -hmm. you never really get to that point. Like even at the highest resolution scan I've done, um, which is about like 700 megapixels, mm -hmm. grain is still very, very subtle. Yeah. Um, so, and there's also different ways of scanning. I mean, I can scan at home on an Epson scanner, which works fine. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's like these really high-end scanners called drum scanners. They do an even better job. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, 700 megapixels has been the most that I've done. Yeah, and I think uh, I actually went on your website and I saw a video and a little article that you did about that. So if you're interested to see that, you should check it out. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's just one of the things where it's just kind of a, a kind of a curiosity thing. I mean, that's yeah. not how I how high I normally scan it because yeah. it is overkill. Yeah, um, of course. I, like it's bigger than I need to print, but it's it's kind of cool to see, and also it's a good process. It's kind of like like pixel peeping in a way where you mm -hmm. take a picture on digital, you zoom in, I see how you did for focus and everything. A lot of things with a large format, you don't really know how well your decisions were for focusing and everything else until you see a scan that big and then, then you see all your mistakes. <laughs> so yeah, you know, positives and negatives. So how did you get started in this whole world of large format photography? Um, so it started back in probably 2008, 2009. I'd been shooting a lot of digital stuff up until then. I had a really awesome Canon setup. Um, I was shooting a lot of sports stuff at the time. I, I don't even really like sports, but I was shooting it cause it was something I could shoot. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd shoot like the holiday bowl and stuff like that. So it was some decent stuff I was shooting, but I was more interested in shooting landscapes and I just wasn't really happy with the landscape stuff that I was doing. It just wasn't. I don't know. I just wasn't producing work that I really liked all that much. And so a friend of mine suggested to get a four by five large format camera, which is kind of a traditional camera one would mm -hmm. use for doing that kind of thing. And, uh, what, so uh, I what, one. what brand was that? There's a Toyo camera, okay. um, which is a company that's still around They're They're built like a tank. So it's a Japanese company. They're solid metal camera. Mm -hmm. Um, but I got that in a couple lenses and I went out on a trip with both the large format camera and also with my digital camera, which at the time was a 1DS2, which wow. was a pretty so, crazy expensive camera. I know, I was gonna say in 2008, I mean, that was a flagship. Yeah, that was that was it was a lot of money for, for a camera and does not, it, it drops in value pretty fast, we'll yeah. put it that way. But uh, I took them both on that trip and um, there was one scene that I really wanted to photograph on both film and also on digital to kind of see for myself how they compare. And I shot it on. I shot it on film. Everything mm -hmm. was cool. I liked the process. And I pulled out the digital camera. I was going to shoot that same thing, and I, I just didn't feel like it. It was weird. It was like right then. It was like I flipped a switch. I'm like, wow. there's something about working with the large format that just makes the process more enjoyable. And it was actually on that trip that I shot the first photo that ended up in my portfolio because all the stuff I'd shot before then I thought I liked, I really didn't. Um, so like you won't see anything older than about 2009 on my website because it was on that trip that I kind of made the switch. And what, film. what was that photo? Do you remember? Yeah. So it was a photo taken in a slot canyon in southern Utah. And it was like this this bush that's kind of on the edge of this kind of eroded sand bank. And it's down in the slot canyon. So as you're looking at this bush, you look kind of across the slot canyon and then there's this big, huge wall with all this desert varnish, all these like streaks that kind of go vertical as the water has kind of drained down and left stains there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just in this really nice light, this nice reflected light. Um, just a pretty simple photo. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just the act of capturing that and just feeling like I was actually doing something that could perhaps stand the test of time yeah. was, was kind of nice, where it's not uh, reliant on whatever camera it was shot on. Because... If I'd taken that same photo with that Canon camera I had, which at the time was an amazing camera, and I look back at that photo now, I probably wouldn't have been quite as happy with it as, mm -hmm. you know, having shot it on film where, it, you know, all the decisions I made were 
ones I'm really happy with to this day. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize this. If you're a film shooter, you know this, but film is a chemical process. It's not anything to do with uh, megapixels and uh, phase detect and yeah. how good your dynamic range is and you know all these things that apply to digital sensors that have cont- continued to get better and better. And scientifically, technically, some people may even say have gotten better than film could mm-hmm. ever do. But there's a richness and there's a quality to film that it's so hard to replicate, and it's uh, it's so special, really. Yeah, and it's timeless it, in a way, like you said. Exactly. I think it comes from the standpoint that it's a mature technology. It's not getting any better. It's not getting any worse. It kind of is what it is, to the point where you know you can you can take a picture, and then so long as you made the right decision when you shot it, you're not really going to have any regrets about it after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, I mean, digital has definitely surpassed film in most respects you know low light ability convenience everything else Um, but sometimes having some degree of limitation within your own work is really what's going to drive you to become a better photographer Mm -hmm. and so I I think I thrive when I have a good set of limitations on me because you have to kind of you're forced to be a bit more creative and you're forced to kind of think ahead a little bit as opposed to kind of ruling with what you see at that given time. Yeah, because, of course, unless you have some sort of endless uh, tank of money, <laughs> every shot you take costs money to develop that and uh, and buy more film. It does, yeah. So that's the obvious thing. Yeah. And, and that obvious lim- limitation, I'm sure, makes you think more as you're shooting, right? It, it does a little bit, though. Strangely enough, if, if something's really happening that's really awesome out there and I have a bunch of film with me on that particular day exactly where I'm standing mm-hmm. I will have no hesitation just to burn through all that film I'm not really thinking about the you know $20 per click on the shutter I'm just thinking about trying to capture whatever's going on um, but yeah when, when I get home I'm like reordering more film I'm like oh, really I, I, I use a lot of film on that trip that's <laughs> that, that stuff does add up so yeah. you know but it's it's the really in some cases a limitation of how much film I can actually carry with me in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone on backpacking trips where I had enough food and supplies to be out in the field for, I don't know, like five to seven days. Mm-hmm. But I had, uh, I think I could take like eight photos. Oh, wow. And there's certain days where I just kind of like, I had a really productive day and I shot a lot of film and I ran out of film. So... <laughs> You know, there's, there's days like that, that happen and you start figuring, do I go back to my truck and get some more stuff and go somewhere else? Or do I just sit here and enjoy the place, which is what I should have done. But you know, (laughs) the whole point of going out there is enjoying the outdoors. Yeah. So once you kind of made that switch, uh, what was the process like when you started learning, uh, the, the development process? So I don't develop my own film. Okay. Uh, I have a lab I use that does that. And, and a lot of photographers these days are kind of getting to the point where they are developing their own film. And it's probably something I probably should do. But Would you save money or is it just you, for the art of yeah, it? Yeah. So you would save money if you have a big enough batch that you're developing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, it's also kind of nice to give the business to some of the local businesses that kind of keep yeah. them alive, keep them going. It's stuff you don't have to think about. You don't have to dedicate a room in your house to it. Yeah. Cause you know, it's certain there is, there's expenses involved in mm-hmm. getting the equipment stuff, but, um, it's the, flammable. It, uh, uh, I've heard, <laughs> I, I've, I've never put it to the test. Yeah. Um, but I, I think the biggest learning curves when shooting film is using a light meter. Mm. And that's something that was completely foreign to me. Uh, the first time I went out to shoot some film, you know, I set up the camera, got the composition, everything right, pull out my light meter and realize that I have no clue how to use my light meter. Yeah. And so I just kind of like, I think I just kind of point this little dome towards something and hit a button and then it gives me this 
stuff I but you know I didn't really know how to use it and those pictures weren't really good so mm -hmm. it took me a while to you know get really good at using a light meter and then the other learning curve is kind of learning how each film is going to react to different situations like mm -hmm. colors and contrast and stuff because in it, in some ways it's kind of like if you're shooting digital if you shoot jpeg where the camera is going to do the processing for you yeah that's how it is with film because you choose a film based on the look you want mm -hmm. so you make those decisions in advance and hopefully they're good ones I think one of my favorite companies that implements this is uh, Fujifilm's cameras. Yeah. Their digital cameras literally have film stock that you can switch mm -hmm. between. Really yep. fun and really Provia, cool. Velvia. Those mm -hmm. are those are some of my favorite film stocks from Fuji. So I'm definitely a big big fan of Fujifilm. Yeah. So did you have a mentor or anything like that, or is this all self-taught or mostly self-taught? I mean, that's kind of the way I learn best. I like I like to learn by just kind of getting out there, making my own mistakes, and kind of. You know, you you do something that doesn't turn out right, and then you'll probably never do that again. So, I mean, that's that's kind of how I've learned with with most things, whether it's the the video or whether it's the photography, because um, you'll you you'll learn the lessons pretty fast when, do you, when things don't turn out right. Do you shoot alone? Yeah, 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 yeah. Every, everything I do is solo trips, um, and I mean, I've gone on trips with other photographers, and it's it's been fun, it's been great, but I, I just have never really felt I've been as productive as if I'm just out there by myself mm -hmm. because you really need to have the time to kind of wander around with no no other plans nothing else kind of going on but have the time just to wander around have things kind of catch your eye mm -hmm. and um, then just kind of take the time to come up with a plan as far as what to do and uh, I definitely do much better if I'm just out there by myself yeah, there's nothing like just the silence of the wilderness and oh yeah uh, the creativity that can come out of just being alone and thinking and, you know, inspiring you through nature. Yeah, it's it's an experience that I don't think a lot of people actually get. I mean, setting aside yeah. just the photography, but just like going out on like a backpacking trip by yourself. I mean, mm -hmm. I think that might be intimidating to a lot of people, but to me, it's just, just normal. I like it. I mean, I kind of yeah. thrive on that. That's what I'm doing. Like <laughs> next week, I'm going out to Utah and I'll be off in the middle of nowhere. But mm -hmm. uh, and then it's uh, cheaper. It's easier. It is. Yeah. You know, sleep in your truck. It's kind of yeah. nice. You know, there's, there's, some, there's some pros to that. You but, don't have uh, to rely on anybody showing up late or whatever. Yeah. So and, and if something goes wrong, you know, it's kind of all on you. You learn from it. So it's kind of a learning experience. Yeah. Um, but I do like to have some degree of familiarity with the location. So I'll usually usually go on a summer camping trip with my wife somewhere mm -hmm. um, we'll find something kind of cool we'll, like we went to the redwoods for a couple years and then i just a couple weeks ago i just got back from the redwoods on my first solo trip up there but mm -hmm. had a feeling for the lay of the land and some trails and stuff how so, long have you been married uh since 2012 okay so yeah. post film days so like <laughs> you, you were already doing this when oh, you met yeah. Yeah. What What's her uh, story with that? And does she like it? Does she like going out with you? Or? She's actually an award-winning photographer. Right? No, I, <laughs> that's kind of the joke that we have because, I mean, when she went to, to college, she took some photography classes and, you know, the little award stuff, the contest and stuff within the college. Yeah. And, you know, she had some, uh, some pretty cool darkroom prints and got some awards for it. And the joke is that she's the award-winning photographer and I'm not. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, she's she has a, a really strong appreciation for photography. I mean, it's not really her thing that she really wants to go out and do it, but she can look at a photo mm -hmm. and she can say, oh, that's that's good, that's not good. And she's, she's actually, I really rely on her feedback on the photos because I'll get back from the trip, I'll show her the film and... And she'll say like, you know, I like that one. That's great. No, no. What were you thinking? You know, it's yeah. like, it's really good feedback. It's really blunt. It's, yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that because it's, yeah. you know, you got to have 
some and, and, and I might have a particular feeling about a particular photo uh -huh. and uh, she might have a different feeling for it but I usually end up finding that what her instinct was 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 yeah. the right instinct man nothing like a woman's intuition it's so <laughs> yeah. true yeah. Um, so how did you guys meet so we've actually known each other ever since um, so we went to the same high school. Mm -hmm. uh, I was one year ahead of her. In San Diego? Uh, yeah, in San Diego. And we didn't know each other in high school. Um, but once I was in college and then she was in college, then then we met. Um, but yeah, we were like 18 and 19 when we met. Nice. And I'm 38 now. Yeah. So we've known each other for a very, very long time. Yeah. Um, she's originally from Russia. So she oh, came wow. here when she was in middle school. Uh, didn't speak a word of English. Wow. Um, but uh, she does like programming stuff. So you guys gone to Russia together? No, she has no real desire to go back. Oh, really? <laughs> she says not her favorite place. Uh, yeah. Um, there's some beautiful places to take pictures of. There definitely are. <laughs> but I think when you grow up there, it's yeah. kind of a, a different situation. Perhaps. Sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So tell me more about the camera that you choose to use. Uh, again, you know, just to visualize this for audio listeners. It's one of those cameras that you usually see at a pawn shop or like yeah. it's kind of the stereotypical. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's got it looks like an accordion kind yeah. of thing. Um, and these are new like cameras that you're not using vintage old large format cameras, right? Yeah. So the ones I'm using, they're, they're current cameras. Uh, one of them is made by Arca Swiss, which mm -hmm. is kind of the kind of like the Leica of large <laughs> format cameras. Yeah. Um, amazing cameras, very precise um, everything is geared as far as the focus, everything absolutely wonderful to work with. The other one I'm working with is made by a company in England called, uh, the intrepid camera company. Mm -hmm. And it's some of the major components of that camera are made out of plywood that is machined. And then there's the bellows and everything. Um, they're kind of polar opposites as far as how expensive they are. Mm -hmm. But when it comes down to it, they're both just a light proof box. You put a lens on one side, you put a film holder on the other side. And so the camera itself has no bearing on the image quality. Yeah. It's just sort of the ease of use with it. And sure. if the it's a more, totally. And if it's a more tricky situation that I'm setting up a shot for, the Arca Swiss will make life a little easier um, just because everything is so precise and geared, but they'll both take the same photo, which is kind of cool. So <laughs> I don't really know much about the mechanics of these cameras. Yeah. Uh, what are the knobs for? What are you doing when you adjust the little gears and things on the Arca Swiss. So, so basically when it comes down to the camera, there's the, the back part of the camera, which is where the ground glass is, which is the, you know, the image is gonna be upside down on there when you're looking at it. Mm -hmm. And then there's the front part of the camera, where you put the lens on it. Um, some of the knobs are going to be for focusing it. And when you focus it, it basically just pulls the back and the front of the camera further apart or closer together. So okay. you're just focusing that lens. Like an accordion. Exactly. Like <laughs> an accordion. It doesn't make the, doesn't make the cool sounds though. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's basically for focusing. Um, okay. So the lens is a fixed lens then? It, there's yeah. no uh, focus gear on the lens itself? Exactly. So the okay. lens is going to have the, the shutter, the aperture, everything kind of all in one unit. Really? And okay. it's all mechanical. So It's like a leaf shutter system? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and there's like a little flash sink on there and everything. So, oh, cool. um, but basically, um, everything that you're setting up when you're setting up a photo, it's going to be focused, but then every lens you use becomes a tilt shift lens because you can move that lens around yeah. kind of to the side, angle it up, down. And that's what the other knobs are for. So you can kind of move that lens in just the perfect angle so that you end up having, um, the plane of focus exactly where you want it to be. Um, because depth of field is really shallow on large format. 
Yeah. And it's, it's deceiving because you think like, you know, large format, you think Ansel Adams, these like big pictures of the West and everything's tack sharp, everything's in focus. But you actually have to do a fair amount of work to kind of make it look like that. Yeah. Otherwise, it looks like you're shooting like a, maybe like an F1.2 lens or something like that. And like very little's in focus. Yeah. So can you compare a Hasselblad to this? Like what is the difference between medium format, large format? So medium format, I mean, there's there's a wide range of different sort of cameras and formats and stuff for medium format. And by the way, Fujifilm just released the GFX 100. And yeah. they're, they're calling that large format. Yeah, that seems, it's, it's technically a little smaller than most medium formats. Yeah, so it's basically they're saying it's bigger than full frame. Yeah. In, in digital. Yeah, which is kind of a strange, kind of a strange move. So in your terms, large format is bigger than medium format? Yeah, so a large format typically starts at about four by five inch film. Um, so four by five, eight by 10, and it actually goes beyond that. And those cameras are just insanely huge. So that's why they just classify all as large format. Yeah. Because it's just big. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, then the medium format will use like the 120 film, um, okay. which is I think I think six centimeters or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's a wide variety of cameras that will use those, like the Hasselblads, there's some Pentax. Mamiya's, Pentax. And they might shoot different shapes. I, I actually used to have a, a six by seventeen camera, a panoramic camera for that Fuji made. Oh, cool! And that was that was kind of a cool camera, but I didn't use it enough, so I sold it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so large format is actually bigger than medium format, yeah. which I am glad I asked you because I actually was under the impression that they were sort of similar, but they're not at all. Yeah, in in the film world, it's defined by the medium format cameras are going to use that medium format film, the one twenty film, and some other formats through the years. Mm -hmm. um, but large formats, it's sheet film, so you you buy a box that has individual sheets of film, mm -hmm. you load it into a holder, um, and then you yeah. try not to mess up. And medium format has always been known as a high resolution film itself. Yeah. So I mean, large format is insane. Yeah, because <laughs> it's you're saying 700 megapixels is even possible. Do oh, the, totally. Are the lenses capable of resolving that detail? Um, you start running into issues. Um, if you stop the lens down too far, you hit a little diffraction, which can limit you. Uh, sure. Depth of field is constantly a little bit of an issue. Yeah. Um, but the scans I've done at that resolution, it was a wide angle lens. And mm. I got to say, I was quite impressed with it. It's amazing. And, and the other thing that's really cool about large format is pretty much every single lens you use mm -hmm is going to be a really good lens. You don't have color <laughs> fringing. You don't have everything else. Like you don't enlarge that final film very much. So mm -hmm. you don't get to the point where you see all those flaws in the lenses. Wow. So almost every lens is perfect yeah. and they're also not very expensive. Yeah. So. Cause basically when you're shooting a uh, 35 or full frame, you're viewing it at its maximum oh, yeah. resolution, you know? Yeah. It's almost like putting under a microscope at a certain point. Cause you have to, I mean, if you think if you're shooting a full frame camera, it's what, 24 by 36 millimeters. And then mm -hmm. you make like a print that's, you know, 50, 60 inches wide on the wall. Yeah. You're magnifying that a lot. It's so funny because I've been shooting on my GH5 often, uh, taking pictures and video with that. That's a micro four thirds sensor. Mm -hmm. the, that is like such a, it's a fingernail compared to what you're shooting on. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you can do a lot of stuff I can't. Like, <laughs> like, you know, I, if, like, for example, one of the things that, is a limitation on large formats. If you're, I, I prefer to shoot in the morning because it's usually calm in the morning. There's no wind because mm -hmm. um, wind will shake the camera, which will ruin a photo. It can also, you know, blow leaves in a composition and, and my shutter speeds are kind of long. Mm -hmm. So I kind of learned early on that the only way I can shoot in the morning is if I set up the camera the day before, because in the morning when like before the sun comes up to our eyes, we can see everything fine. 
but if you try to look at the ground glass on the back of a large format camera, you can't see anything. It's too dark. Hmm. And so you can't see your composition. You can't see your focus. So I kind of learned early on that if I'm off in the middle of nowhere, I can just set up my camera and I can just find the composition the day before, lock everything down, cover it up, and then mm -hmm. come back the next morning, camera composition, everything's waiting for me. And mm -hmm. I just put the film in there, take the photo. Wow. That worked really well until I destroyed two cameras. So <laughs> From rain? Wind. Or... Oh no, yeah, they yeah. fell? Yeah, they got, it was actually, I uh, went to Death Valley and, and you can have winds that kick up. They're like, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour <laughs> out of nowhere. I weighted it down with a bag of maybe 25 pounds of rocks. Yeah. And I knew in the middle of the night that that camera was, was not going to survive the night because my truck is getting beat around in the wind. Oh my gosh. And so, yeah, the next morning it was just smashed on the ground. How much are those cameras? Uh, that camera was a used camera. It was a, a wooden camera, but it was about $3,000 when I bought it. Yeah. But then it probably was worth about double that when it got destroyed because oh, a lot no. of film stuff has gone up in value. But it got repaired. Wood cameras okay. can be fixed. Cool. But yeah, so... You know, you kind of learn from stuff like that, you know, it makes for good yeah. stories, makes for good like content yeah. for the videos, I guess. But uh, what know. are some of your favorite uh, places that you've been over the years? So unlike a lot of people these days that do, you know, a lot of landscape photography and stuff, you know, a lot of people travel is their main thing. Like they mm -hmm. want to travel all over and see all these places. For me, I kind of like revisiting the same places and really getting to know those areas. So I spent a lot of time in Southern Utah. Mm -hmm. um zion national park is that uh, drivable for you oh yeah yeah so it's you know like eight hours from san okay. diego where i live over to zion um over other places in southern utah like grand staircase escalante um really really cool areas some good backpacking stuff over there uh death valley um recently got back from the redwoods so areas that are you know generally within the kind of the the west uh, part of the u.s yeah um but it's i like to just kind of go there and kind of immerse myself in the area and spend you know five to seven days there just kind of looking around and, and you mm -hmm. start noticing things the more time you spend there which is kind of cool what is it about this that you have just been so attracted to like do you feel like you have this purpose to capture nature like do you have is there a what's the why before for you not just with film but just with capturing nature like this that's a good question i mean i i think it's one of the things where once you're in those places, you just want to try to find some way to take a photo to in some way do justice to that location, mm -hmm. which is pretty much impossible, mm -hmm. but you still want to try. Um, but I think it's just a matter of just being inspired by some of these places and just kind of, you know, wanting to go back and kind of see how things change and kind of understand how things work. Yeah. Um, so I, nothing really more profound than that, other than the fact that it's just, it's fun to go out there and, and then, you know, telling the story of the trips and, because um, most of the time on the trip, I mean, I think people picture a photography trip. They picture you constantly going around taking pictures. But, you know, my goal is to take maybe one photo a day. If, yeah. if I get that, I'm in pretty good shape. But there's days I'm just wandering around and looking for things and getting to know new, new locations. And That's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. So for someone who wants to experiment with large format, what, what are some tips and tricks and like some budget options that you would recommend for someone who's just starting out? So I would take a good look at the Intrepid Camera Company. Uh, they're that company based out of England. Mm -hmm. And uh, they make the very... The wooden cameras? Yeah, the wooden cameras. They're very inexpensive cameras. Um, like a 4x5 camera, I think, is a few hundred dollars or maybe a little less. Wow. Um, lenses, you can buy those used. And maybe a, a decent lens will set you back maybe a hundred bucks. So you're into it already for the camera and the lens for maybe like less than the price of a used lens for like a, you know, whatever digital setup you have. 
Um, And then there's other stuff like some film holders and stuff, but it's not terribly expensive. The the main thing is you want to have a a really good light meter, Um, but again, maybe a few hundred bucks for a a pretty good light meter. Um, What's one that you'd recommend with light uh, meters? I like the Siconic spot meters. Um, They make all kinds of new ones, but there's, they go back many different generations. The one I'm Mm -hmm. using is a few generations back, but being able to use a light meter is really important because you don't have that instant feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you learn to trust the light meter, then there really should be no surprises. Yeah, um, I know some people, they'll take their digital camera, they'll take a picture of the scene and kind of use that as a light meter. Um, but for me, that's just carrying kind of one more thing and you gotta do some mental math because yeah. some of the aperture settings on the large format <laughs> yeah. don't exist on the uh, digital. So mm-hmm. I, I, no, I'm i not a big fan of math. So, Plus you know. I think uh, any any photography like professor would would argue that it's good to know how to read a light meter yeah yeah it's 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 almost like a little bit of a lost art because we don't need that in digital i mean mm-hmm. especially the mirrorless what you see is what you get i mean it yeah. makes life so much easier yeah but uh but there, there's something about kind of sitting there and just mm-hmm. watching the light and kind of evaluating the scene and slowing down and sort yeah. of taking the time to really you know take it all in so. okay and then when it comes to the film itself um you know just by that online you like the fuji film yeah fuji's great kodak's great um ilford does black and white um so i I usually tell people to do a little research see what other people what type of film other people are using that is kind of the same sort of stuff you'd like to shoot and just get to know a film i mean it's once you kind of get to know a particular film then then you really won't have any surprises Mm. um and that's sort of the other learning curve is just knowing the different ways that the film is going to react um, as well as, you know, knowing how to use a light meter. And then the, the developing process, just look in your local city for a place that might be able to do it. Or? Yeah, there's, you know, you might have to mail the film out. Um, mm-hmm. For black and white, you can pretty easily develop it yourself. But for some of the color stuff, I mean, yeah, definitely there's some really good labs um, that can that can handle that. And it's not that expensive because you don't shoot a lot with yeah with that. I like mean, you I, said you do one a day. <laughs> yeah, and that's if I'm lucky. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll go on a trip where I... Um, I'll be gone for like 10 days and I take maybe 20 exposures mm-hmm. and some of those are just duplicates, you know, on the, the same scene, I'll shoot two sheets of film just in case something happens. This is Smart. kind of a, as a backup. Yeah. But what you find is that the keeper rate goes up incredibly high. Um, when I went on my uh, winter trip to Death Valley and to Zion National Park in January, um, there were eight scenes that, or there were nine scenes that I photographed. Um, and by that, I mean, I just, you know, find a composition on that scene and then, you know, maybe expose a couple sheets of film, but there's nine different scenes I photographed of which eight of those different scenes ended up on my website. Mm. So, you know, yeah. And then some of them were a little bit better than others, but I'd say of those, maybe there's like five, like really good portfolio shots I'm happy with, but it's cause it kind of like forced me to slow down and kind of take my time. Yeah. And you're really thinking it through before you shoot it. So. Yeah. So even though it seems like the film gets kind of expensive, mm-hmm. You shoot a lot less, and actually, I did the math on it a while back. I um, I looked at how much I was spending by you know buying a digital camera, and then you know basically selling that when a new one comes out, kind of replaces <laughs> yeah. it, kind of keeping up with the latest and greatest. The depreciation and, of it. Yeah, and I actually found that I think shooting film was maybe a little bit less, um, at least for what I was doing. So it it sounds crazy, it sounds intimidating, but yeah, they're actually the simplest cameras you can work with. Yeah, and that's kind of maybe one of the secrets about it where people look at it and they go, oh, this must be hard to do. It's actually not that hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's fun. <laughs> well, I, I was talking to you previously before we start recording. I, I own a Leica M3 mm-hmm. and there's just something beautiful about it. The mechanics of mm-hmm. a film camera, 
Um, I would love to see one of your cameras. I think you brought one, right? Uh, I got some film I can show you when we're done. Some, cool. Some, some, but uh, just the, the worksmanship of it, the fact that a human by hand built the thing, you know, yeah. it's just so great. Yeah. It's, it's a lost art. Oh, yeah, totally. No no electronics in, in most of them. Yeah. It's just, you know, just very simple, which is, it. and they're just designed to last pretty much forever. So we have a, a quote that we pulled that you said. I want to read it to you. Um, I absolutely love working with large format film because of the inherent limitations and the strong sense of discipline that is required. These limitations help to shape the final image by giving me a sense of direction. I think that's great because it's really what you've been saying this whole yeah, time. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm sure that you know anybody who wants to start in photography uh, with large format, uh, you know, it's a good, good quote to hear. Yeah, it's, it's the sort of thing where these days the cameras have gotten so so good the digital cameras have gotten so good that you can pick up like a you know like a sony a7r3 mm -hmm. and take some really awesome landscape photos or do some you know night stock shots with it or do some portraits or weddings or whatever and, i mean these cameras are so versatile in what they can do that sometimes if you just want to go out and take some creative photos if you don't have some degree of limitations with you mm -hmm. that you're kind of thinking in all these different directions. Yeah. And so like with the large format stuff, it really does slow you down. It makes you kind of think about things a little bit more. Um, and then another thing too, I, I realized when I went on my recent trip up to the Redwoods, so I'm filming video as well as when I'm going, and, you know, in addition to the photos when I go on these trips mm -hmm. and the moments I'd stop and just like set up a slider shot for the video, I would kind of notice something that I didn't notice before when I was looking around for photos, cause it kind of uses a different sort of part of the brain. So in that video kind of slowed me down, made me kind of think about things a little bit differently, but in the same way that, you know, large format camera can as well, mm -hmm. because you have to kind of think ahead of things a little bit, which is nice. Well, let's, uh, that's a great tra transition. Let's talk about the video aspect of your job. Mm -hmm. uh, you have a YouTube channel yeah. and you're very active on it. You post yeah. often. I'm a YouTuber myself. Very cool. And, uh, but one thing that you do that I don't do is, uh, you don't have ads on your on your videos, yeah. it's an ad-free platform um, that's crowdfunded and yeah. uh, from donors and stuff. But let's just talk about that. Uh, in 2009, you started documenting uh, your adventures with video journals, and you still keep yeah. doing that. You have 40,000 subscribers, yeah. and it's growing. So let's talk about your YouTube channel and, and your video aspect. So I started doing the videos back in 2009 just because... I, at the time, I was trying to do a written blog, but I'm not good at writing. I mean, I'll try. <laughs> I mean, like I just like... I get too wordy with things and I just yeah. like, you know, I just wasn't really good at it. I didn't end up describing things the exact same way every single blog post. So, mm -hmm. um, so eventually I had like this little Canon elf camera. I just pulled it out, record some little video clips. That's and, a point and shoot, right? Yeah. Point and shoot. This yeah. is like before HD, before 720. It was like yeah. 640 by 480. Yeah. And I just record some little video clips and then I'd kind of put that at the end of the not very well written blog post just to say, hey, you know, hey, this actually happened kind of a thing, you know, here's evidence of it. And then eventually um, the camera started getting better as far as doing video, you know, DSLRs and stuff. And at a certain point, I just kind of gave up the written blog post altogether, just started doing the video because <laughs> uh -huh. um, it was a better way to kind of tell the story of the trip and kind of yeah. show the mood of the trip and everything. Of and uh, this is kind of before any of that really was much of a thing. Yeah, there weren't really vloggers in 2009 at all. So. I think there's like, things are starting a little bit maybe in different sectors, but not really for landscape stuff. As far as I know, I, I think I was the first one to do it for landscape stuff. I haven't found anyone else who's been doing it longer, but mm -hmm. um, but things have certainly changed through the years. 
but then I started putting a little more effort into it. I had like a Nikon D800. I was using that for video and then yeah. a D750. And now I've got a Sony setup. But um, but yeah, basically I ended up going sort of the ad free route on the videos because I honestly didn't really like the direction that the ads kind of push you in. They kind of push you into doing something that is a, it's almost like formulaic as far as mm -hmm. if you want to get the views, if you want to get the attention. Yeah you go down this route, you have the, the thumbnails for the videos that look like cartoon characters and cereal boxes yeah. and the clickbaity <laughs> titles and stuff. And I just felt weird with that. It just, it yeah. wasn't me. So yeah. I kind of went the that opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it works, but that's the whole thing is like, I've always been the type of person that doesn't really want to go down the path that everyone's gone down yeah. because I kind of want to find my own path. I love that. And so by turning off the ads, it changes the motivation. So now it's kind of more about trying to be, you know, super genuine about the stuff and trying to put more work into the content and not worrying yeah. about the views and stuff. And by not doing the ads, I think it ends up kind of throttling my YouTube account somewhat where it doesn't grow very fast at all. It grows really slowly, mm -hmm. but I actually kind of like that Yeah. because I don't really want to have necessarily like all that attention on me. Uh, when you see yeah. some of the channels, they get these huge channels. Yeah. And I think with that comes other sort of pressures and responsibilities oh, yeah. and stuff. And the last guy we interviewed is a uh, creative director for Austin Evans. They have like 4 million subscribers yeah. and they're running a production company. It's like a TV show. You yeah. Know? And it's amazing. You know, they're doing very well and they're having fun, but it is, it's, it becomes a production. Yeah. You and, know? and sort of early on, sort of the promise I made myself is that I just want to do photography that I enjoy. Like, I don't want it to become work. I almost feel like if it ends up becoming this big thing, it's going to become work. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of just, you know, putting out stuff that, that, that I like, I think people, um, people enjoy, but without having the ads there, I think it kind of, kind of fly under the radar a little bit, which, yeah. I, which I think is something that's I love kind of the, nice. The purity of it. It's yeah. really great. Um, yeah, and I was kind of hopping around your channel just looking, and you, you have 40,000 subscribers, but you have uh, really good views on your videos in relation to your subscriber base. Yeah, and the other thing is... is so people are committed to you. Yeah, you know? it, people kind of... Um, they, I think they kind of feel like they're they're part of the process, and also I think the way I kind of record things, I don't, I don't really teach things in the video. Like, I almost feel like I'd be talking down to people. So mm -hmm. I was just kind of... So, you know, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing things, but I'm not trying to like, Hey, this mm -hmm. is, let's talk about composition today and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of a interesting experience, uh, but I've, I've been enjoying it so far. And so how do you make money? Do you so, sell prints and a, a little uh, bit? I mean, uh, most of it really comes from a box set that I produce each year, which is like a yearly portfolio, um, which also gives me motivation to, try to produce the best work I can because I know that by the end of the year I need to have yeah, somewhere between 10 and 12 photos I'm really happy with. And then they're produced as prints on eight by 10 paper. And then I basically ship them out all over the world, but that's part of it. Um, and that's a lot of work to, to create. Um, it, yeah. I used to, yeah, I do it all, all by hand in my, my little home office. It's amazing. Um, and also there's voluntary subscriptions kind of through PayPal or if people enjoy it, they can just sign up and it's just $2 a month, $24 mm -hmm. a year. So just, very nominal amount, um, but just a bunch of things like that kind of add up to the point where it's it's doable. Um, I don't really have much interest in doing workshops. I know that's mm -hmm. something that a lot of photographers will do, but kind of like I said earlier, I, I don't really want it to become work. I really just want to be <laughs> doing what I want to do. And yeah, if I'm out that. kind of 
off in the middle of nowhere. I, I want to be the one out taking pictures and exploring and looking for things. Mm -hmm. And uh, so workshops really hasn't really, at least not the direction yet. I wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not closing the door completely. Maybe some yeah. time later down the line, but uh, just not something that's really motivating me at the moment. Man, you are an artist. There you if go. I, if I ever met one, <laughs> I got an artist hat on. I don't yeah. Know. The, uh, <laughs> if podcasters can't, can't see that. But, yeah. It's yeah. the uh, what do you what kind of hat is that called? I forgot. I, I don't. I have no clue. Yeah. I just say it's kind of like the old English style. Yeah. Something. You should know. be wearing a waistcoat, a waistcoat with a pocket watch. I, you know, I, I do use a kind of an analog timer for time in my exposures, which uh -huh. kind of looks like that. So <laughs> this kind of has a little bit of that look going on. Yeah. I just love your overall just perspective on things uh, coming from just being an artist and creating stuff. And basically you're, you're, you're not taking advantage of YouTube. You're not taking advantage of your donors. You're literally just, surviving and paying your bills obviously yeah, totally uh which is important to live but you're creating art and that's really special yeah and that's that's just been sort of what i've wanted to do just just uh kind of do things on my own terms and kind of produce work that i'm really happy with and i'm sure youtube would very much prefer if i ads on there because you know there, there's a fair amount of bandwidth being used but mm -hmm. uh, you know i have some older videos that are monetized <laughs> so there's a little something there but uh but yeah, I, I think it's just, it's all about the story of the trip. And uh, I think that's something that people can relate to. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's just kind of a, it's been a fun process. Do you have uh, kids? I don't. I have two cats though. Nice. Yeah. But um, equally as demanding. <laughs> what really. does your wife do? Uh, she is a uh, sort of a back end web programmer. Okay. So uh, she work at home or does she go to the office? Uh, she goes to an office. Yeah. So she has a nine to five. So you're on Instagram. Yeah. But do you call yourself an Instagrammer? You know, that's that's definitely a word that is not. I don't think I've ever said that word actually. Yeah, yeah, Instagram. I wouldn't think so. Yeah, and also YouTuber. On... YouTuber is not really one I like either. Yeah, if you don't have ads on your channel, then you're not a YouTuber. Yeah, you're that's just true. using YouTube to host videos. I'm just, I'm just using their bandwidth. I think is what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, Instagram's kind of fun. I mean, I've I've kind of enjoyed that and sort of the, the networking uh, mm -hmm. aspects to that. Um, going from a 700 megapixel to two megapixels. Yeah, great. really. Yeah. That's, that's sort of the irony of it all. You know, you have these like huge pictures, you put them on there and it's just like this little thumbnail, which, yeah. you know, it doesn't do any sort of justice to it, but yeah. it's, it's kind of, it's good to have a presence in there. I enjoy doing the stories and, mm. you know, lots of pictures of cats in the stories, not so much in the feed, but, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I, I've, I've met a lot of people through there and it's yeah. definitely been a, a great community. Um, is there a community of people that are into large format just like you that you've met and there actually is there's yeah. um there's a lot of people um i have known uh, so a good friend of mine uh he's also from tennessee um oh, cool. he uh he, he does large format now his name is alan brock and uh i remember there was one year that we both were in zion national park at the same time uh, it was during the fall and um we were kind of shooting this this waterfall and, and in the past he had been shooting all digital this was like the first trip he just brought his film camera there and uh, i remember that he was he just finished taking this picture and he said you know I, I can't ever imagine like shooting you know digital here again after it's kind of the experience of working with the film and everything like that um and sort of i know people that have kind of started with digital they've kind of gone towards shooting film and then there's a certain level of sort of satisfaction that comes with that and I think it's because you have more responsibility over the whole process. And if something doesn't come out, it's kind of on you, you know, mm -hmm. it just kind of makes it more rewarding when things do really turn out well. So yeah, uh, I've, I've met a lot of people that have sort of 
you know, learned through the years have maybe started on digital, then gone to film and, and that's all mm -hmm. they shoot now, which is kind of fun. I mean, at least for the, you know, serious stuff. You know, what's fascinating is you're, everything about the process of what you're doing is about your experience. It's not about what somebody who's, I mean, it is about what somebody's going to think when they see it. Yeah. But the thing that is standing out to me, hearing about the story of shooting on film is really about the process as the photographer. And because at the end of the day, like if I spent all day with my A7R3 and I did only take one picture and I used all the same techniques that you're talking about mm -hmm. and you put it next to a film picture to a normal average Joe person, they might not be able to tell the difference. Totally. Yeah. But it's about the process. It's process oriented. Yeah. From the photographer's perspective. Yeah. That makes it oh totally happen do you think but the, that's the thing is like if you have a burst rate of 20 frames per mm -hmm. second and you can go to iso 30,000 you're probably those you you don't have any limitations so you think creatively different totally yeah yeah it's it's within that limitation that really kind of shapes you a little bit and as like another example i mean i talked earlier about how you know if i was setting taking a a, a morning photo i'd set up the camera the day before mm -hmm. um but there's something else that comes with that. Whereas I already have that composition, everything all set, focus set. You know, when my alarm goes off at like, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning for me to hike back out to wherever it was I was, mm -hmm. I'm not going to sleep through that alarm. You know, like I know my camera's there. I got to get it anyways. <laughs> yeah. So there's like a certain motivating factor as well as some of the stuff. I love it. Um, so it kind of like forces me to kind of go that extra step. And also I think the video does that. Mm -hmm. um, I think some people have asked whether the the video kind of gets in the way of the process, but it kind of becomes part of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of allows you to, but also, I mean, there's there's times if I'm on a backpacking trip in the middle of nowhere and there's no one around, doing the video is kind of nice too because you're like talking to something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's that aspect as well, you know? It's like, yeah. uh, there's no one around here. It's kind of kind of feels good to at least, you know, say something. So it's it, yeah. it's almost therapeutic in some ways sometimes. So That's cool. So it's kind of part of this big old process that's kind of evolved through the yeah. years. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, are there any photographers that, uh, that you just really look up to that you love that you could just share? And this could be kind of no-brainers, you know, people that are long gone, but people that you really love? Um, so, I, I mean, it's like some of the modern photographers, um, Clyde Butcher, um, he is a black and white large format photographer. Um, his work's mostly from Florida, but he's been all over. He's kind of like the modern Ansel Adams. Um, really beautiful, huge prints, you know, darkroom stuff. Um, really, really nice. Um, Charles Kramer is a really, really talented large format color photographer. Um, you just look at his work. Each, each photo is like, it looks like poetry. And mm. it's the sort of thing where it's like, I don't know how he noticed that particular scene and happened to be in the right place at the right time, but mm -hmm. uh, really beautiful work. And they're, they're both both still alive and, and both still you know, producing oh, cool. work. Um, so those those are definitely some of my, some of my favorites. What yeah. are some of the cool things in your career over the last decade that have happened that have come because of what you're doing? Like, have you had any shows or uh, magazine articles or things like that? Um, I mean, there's been some stuff through the years. Um, I can't really point to anything really in particular. I think just sort of like the networking aspect and kind of uh, mm -hmm. getting to meet people and kind of yeah. see their work and kind of see how they do things. And But there really hasn't been any sort of like pinnacle moment. I mean, I, I don't really enter any contests or anything like that. So I can't say, oh, <laughs> it's that time I won that contest. Cause... Well, 
I think Ben's being a little humble because if you go on your website, go to the media section, there's some great little articles and things on there. There's, yeah, there's some, some, some interviews and some podcasts and you know, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. That's always like fun stuff to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so mm-hmm. um, cool. Well, anything else that you'd like to leave with our listeners who uh, are interested in large format? Um, I, I think it just really just depends on, you know, if anyone has sort of the the feeling it might be something they're interested in. Yeah. Um, just kind of the big secret of it all is it, it's not that hard to do. The large format cameras are actually the simplest of the cameras. They're, they're easier than really a 35 millimeter camera or a medium format camera. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're among the easiest to work with and it just depends on how you learn. But I mean, I learned just by getting a camera and put some film in it and taking pictures and, and I was hooked right away. So I think just, you know, if you're interested, try yeah. it, give it a shot. That's awesome. Yeah. So, we started with the 1DS, what was it? 1DS Mark III? Yeah, something I think. Like I don't know. So the names are so annoying. <laughs> yeah. So we went from the 1DS to the uh, to your first large format. Yeah. And now you're working with the Arca Swiss and the Intrepid. Yeah. Uh, shooting on mostly Fujifilm, yep. I think. Yeah, a lot of Fujifilm, a lot of slide film. So, and yeah. you travel all over the West. Yeah, driving around in my 4Runner and <laughs> sleeping in the back and finding cool trees and rocks and stuff to point my camera at. Do you have any plans to go east <laughs> northeast um there's some beautiful areas over there but i think just from the standpoint of there's so much cool stuff between where i live in those areas yeah that you know there's so much stuff that's even closer that so you still haven't seen i, I can yeah. spend a lifetime exploring some of these cool side canyons over in utah you can back back into and not see anyone for days so wow I mean, there's, there's, I, I've got a ton of respect for the people that fly over the world and go to these really crazy areas, but there's so many cool places in our own backyard that I you can that. find. That, and that, that applies to anybody. Yeah. You can, and you can find your own subjects and kind of get that same sort of experience without having to travel all over necessarily. So that's great. Well, Ben, thanks for being on the show. It was awesome being here. I appreciate it's a pleasure. it. Thank yeah. you. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Ben Horn. If you're curious to see some of Ben's work, then I strongly recommend going to his website, benhorn.com. That's spelled B-E-N-H-O-R-N-E. And you can see some of the large format landscapes that he's done. One thing that really stood out to me in my interview with Ben is his unbelievable patience as a creator. The fact that he would go out to an amazing location and potentially only come home with one image is really incredible to me. And it's really inspired me to go out and take my time as a photographer, as a filmmaker, and actually think through the images that I'm taking and not just fire a bunch of pictures all the time. Even though we can do that with digital, I think taking the film techniques that Ben is using can actually make you a better photographer. Again, thanks for listening to the Golden Hour podcast brought to you by Polar Pro. I'm your host, Dave Mays, and we'll see you next week.